So it's another Thursday at seven o'clock here in my area of, of the town. Of course, this is the conversation outspoken and opinionated. My name is Edwin Meyer, and I'm here today. It is the final, I would say, episode of the theme Black um, Women in Politics. Um, this is going to be amazing. We have two amazing powerhouse with us today. And so we're asking you guys to join in. We're asking to log in. However, way you are watching this show, we're asking to get in here. Of course, if you have not subscribed yet, we're asking you to go to YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube page. It the conversation outspoken and opinionated, and on of course on Instagram we are the conversation with another n underscore, and on Facebook we are the conversation outspoken and opinionated. Again, like I said, we are looking at the theme Black Women in Politics. We started off with, uh, of course, our amazing Sivet Gibson. We went to Sia Fena. We had um, uh, uh, um, Casey Manyanen. Today we have Madam Edith Gongloware and Representative Naquita Ricks of Colorado State. And so today is going to be amazing. Um, you know, um, this has been uh, an amazing time, I would say, for us who are, you know, around the world, for everyone around the world. Um, so, you know, um, black women in politics, women have stepped up to the plate. And like I'll say and everyone say, it's like um, people are, these women are breaking down the glass ceiling and they are walking through these doors that society has labeled that said it was these territories or only men territories. And so it's super amazing that these things are happening. And so we are just grateful, grateful for everything. Um we are asking, you know, this is amazing that, you know, everything works out great. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just one of these things that, you know, everything is going to be good. Um, like I said earlier, we have an amazing show today. And so um, it's just going to be a powerhouse. And so we're asking, I hope you guys get ready for this because this is going to be great. Um, of course, I am your conversationalist, Edwin J. Maya, the host of the show. Um, you know, as we finalize the segment again, like I said, on Black, uh, Black Women in Politics, it's been extremely, extremely educational. I mean, I've had the opportunity to talk with some amazing women in politics, people that have given us education, but then also given us practicality when it comes to, you know, women uh, um, going into politics or women, you know, talking about family, talking about their kids and all the issues that they have had as they had, you know, uh, um, just strive in this uh, political arena. And so, I'm super excited. I don't know what you guys are watching, but I am super, super excited because I know the wealth of knowledge is going to be amazing. I mean, um, we have great women who are ready to tell us the secret because I want to know the secret. Because what I said earlier is that I think these women who are making strides in politics, for example, our I'm always super excited to say this because Madam Ellen Joseph Sirleaf was the first you know, uh, um, female president in, in Africa. And it, all these women who have paved the way now for little girls to see that, yes, if they can be president, if they can be uh, these political leaders, I can do it too. And so, you know, there are so many people that have paved the way. There are so many people that have been part of this. And so I have, I started a little something, something for you guys to see these people who have made it true. And so, um, of course, we look at Barbara, uh, Barbara Jordan, Kamala Harris, Karen Bates, and Shirley Chisholm. But the funny thing is Shirley, Shirley Chisholm was one of the main people who started this. Um, she, of course, the first Black woman who dare 
to run for president in the United States. Um, and she made it up until convention. And then, of course, she lost. But so many things have happened. And we'll have a little clip here for you guys to see. Wawa's delicious and crunchy breakfast lunch paninis. What Gotta have really happened? Test as yet. That indicates that men has a superiority of great cranial matter over women. Shirley Chisholm was an outspoken black woman. And she was in politics way before Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama made history. But I knew I would be in trouble because the moment that the announcement was made that I was going to make a bid for the presidency, all hell broke loose. Chisholm was the first African-American woman elected to Congress. She ran for president as a Democrat in 1972 and made it to the national convention, but lost her bid for nomination. Her pursuit for the presidency wasn't easy. Chisholm had to sue to get into TV debates and was the target of several assassination attempts while campaigning. Chisholm was ahead of her time. Although she stood up for minorities, she struggled to secure votes from women and the black community. But she paved a path. I believe we are intelligent enough to recognize the talent, energy, and dedication which all Americans, including women and minorities, have to offer Easy. No, no, no. I'm Melissa Prax. So, guys, um, yes, of course, like I was saying earlier, this um, we have so many people who have made it into this thing. And so it's super excited for us to just see all these different things that have happened. Yeah. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in um, Representative Ricks into the broadcast. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you. Um, we are super excited for today. Um, just for you honoring our invitation and wanting to be here with us is amazing. Thank and you. So Thank if you can just tell the people who you are and, the, and some of the great things that you're doing in the state of Colorado. Hi, thank you so much, Edwin, for having me on your outspoken show. I, I'm thrilled to be a guest. And thanks for honoring Black women in politics. It's, it's, it's a hard journey, but it's a journey that's really worth it so that, you know, we can be represented. Uh, you know, we come from typically underserved, underrepresented uh, communities in the spaces and places that we go. So um, it's great to be here. Um, my name is Representative Nikita Ricks from the great state of Colorado. And... Uh, we, I was elected last November and started my first session as a freshman representative in the Colorado State House. Um, it's been really an, a fascinating experience. Um, going to these things, you don't know what to expect. You know, I mean, I've been to the state capitol many times. However, you know, sitting there and that becoming your office and where you're promulgating laws and legislating, that's a whole different uh, thing. So, you know, it's still a learning curve, but I've been so blessed to be able to pass some phenomenal bills um, that are going through and the work that is coming through by the legislature is just phenomenal right now. It's, it's amazing. Um, it, you know, we're really seizing the moment and looking at everything from an equity, um, diversity and inclusion standpoint. And so um, it's, it's been an honor and it's, it's still a, it's a great honor to be serving. And we are super excited because we have seen, uh, we've, so like I told you earlier, my niece, 
super excited because she lives in the state of Colorado. She's like, oh my God, there is this lady. You have to see her. And she would send me all your links and everything going to your campaigns and everything. And I was super excited because for me, it was, it wasn't the fact that uh, I really, yes, one of the main things was because it was a woman, but then it was a woman that I could identify with because there's a Liberian, there's some Liberian in there. And so for me, I was super excited. I was like this because I say this and sometimes, you know, some of my friends get a little bit offended. And I say, you know what? I think what people put out there for Liberia, apart from Ellen Johnson's surleaf, is so negative. And so when people can see that Liberians are doing other things and we are doing great things, I'm excited and I'm ready to celebrate. But we have Madam Edith um, Ware who's going to join us. I can promise you that she's going to join us. But we will start... Um, like I said, they wrote the note. This congratulations again for <laughs> for winning, and I appreciate it. You coming here, but first I want to ask you, um, what when was it? What was the first time that you realized that? Hmm, I think I want to get into politics. You know, that's a great question. Um, and I get asked that. So in um, I never saw myself as a politician. So this was not like the oh gosh, I'm growing up and I'm going to be a politician. My background's in accounting. I have an MBA. I've owned my own small business. I'm an entrepreneur. I've worked in corporate America, uh, some uh, uh, public accounting, also do done a lot of internal auditing, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I think it was like 2013 when I was approached to do some political training. And I had already been very active in my community, serving on different boards. Um, I served on well, with the public school education school board um, not as an elected official, but like the foundation school board where we were raising money for kids to go to um, college. Um, I've done a lot of different things um, just throughout communities, supporting different organizations. And I also own my own nonprofit now and, and run that. But uh, just being community minded and wanting to give back. So I was asked to run by a group called Emerge. And that was the second class of women that were going through the program. And they asked then, well, do you see yourself as a politician? I said, well, no, I would like to do the political training just so that I can continue to serve on boards in the community. And then I was asked, well, if you were to run for office, what would you run for? And I thought something in education, you know, growing up as a librarian, um, my family really stressed education, getting the best education. Um, going to college was never an option, not an option. That was the only option, you know, you, you're going to go to college. So, um, and that's what my parents instilled in me. So I thought, well, yeah, education. So I went through the political training class and it taught us how to present yourself, how to raise money, how to, uh, you know, write a stump speech, you know, all the little nuts and bolts of what you need as a politician. And, so I ran for the Board of Regents, which is a statewide seat. Um, I got over 100,000 votes in that election in 2014. However, it was not enough to win, and I did not win. So, um, you know, but what I did get was the experience of knocking on the doors and engaging people in my community, specifically the immigrant community, you know, knocking on the doors, learning about this community, I know that we, you know, we didn't get involved really in the off-year elections, but we always were very excited about the presidential elections. So it was like, well, how do we keep getting these people engaged? I also liked hearing about 
their dreams. You know, people will say, yeah, I want this for my family and I want this for my kids and this is how I want the state to look. And so I took all of that in mind and, and I, I really loved engaging. It was like a natural thing with, you know, the community. So, um, you know, I then ran again for city council in 2017 and I didn't win, I, I came in third. Um, and, and then of course I ran again for this election in 2020. But I guess, so it's been a seven year journey. And, you know, as far as being a politician, I would say that I'm not the typical politician. I'm, I'm in politics, but I really want people to know that, you know, politics are local and mm -hmm. that's where all of the decisions are made, whether that's at the city council le level, um, you know, state representative or the school board. These are the people who make decisions and promulgate laws that impact you right there in your community. So it's important that we get involved in every election. Awesome. And so what you said is so, it's amazing because the two ladies prior to uh, um, you said the same thing that I, when I did the show, they said, it takes, uh, it takes at least three times for you to run to get where you need to get to. But then I want to ask you a question. When you, when you showed interest in being a representative, what kind of feedback did you get from your friends and family? So, you know, after running, so I, it's again, so that wasn't just like, you know, I just showed up. I had been doing this for a while. So I think people see that there is truly a desire to, to serve. So from family members and, and close people, you know, they were like, okay, you know, well, Quita's going again, you know. <laughs> and but after a while, after after not winning, you know, and running, because it takes a lot. It takes a lot of dedication, you know. You still have to work. I, I mean, for me, I'm I still work. I still run my business. Um, still yeah. have to make a living, and you know, they're putting all these hours of making the phone calls, you know, making the appearances, um, doing the, the the speeches, the interviews, and all of that. So. You know, there was, you know, there were some people that were very supportive and then there were others that were like, ah, well, maybe, you know, maybe you need to give that thing up, man, you know, because <laughs> uh, it, it don't look like working for you, you know, so or maybe it's not it's not meant to be. And, you know, seemingly, you know, you can take so many messages based on what's going on around you. But I think for me, it was a real desire to serve and knowing that I have something to offer and uh, just wanting to make a difference and to be a, a voice in these areas, because I think our voices, you know, the voices of the immigrant communities, low income communities, um, you know, they're, they're not typically represented. I didn't really see too many, well, anybody in the state capital in Colorado that had an accent or had come through the lived experiences that I, you know, in the, in the, the places and and things that I've gone through. So I think those voices are important, especially from the community that I, I, I represent. I'm coming from Aurora, which is a very diverse community here in Colorado, where at yeah. least one out of every four persons say that they're from another country. So, you know, um, you know, so it's important to have all of these voices there. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there is mixed, right? Mixed signals. Some people were supportive. Some people weren't so supportive. Some people were kind of like, well, I'll just watch from the sidelines. Exactly. But, you know, yeah, you know, but hey, um, and then some people like, well, who do you think you are? You know, why are you running? What have you done? You know, so it's like you get all of these different voices 
but you can't listen to the voice of the market, right? Because there's, there's all kind of stuff coming at you. You just, you got to be focused and know why you're doing it and the why. And that, that why has to be the thing that motivates you and keeps you going. So, yeah. And so I want to ask you this question because I know previously you said that there was a group that literally came up to you and wanted you to run for office. But mm-hmm. how many times did you get, how many times did people come up to you and said, you know, I think you should run for office. And how many times did you say no, if you said no at all? Well, so yeah, so Emerge asked me, you know, do you want to run for office? And that was a group that did political training, right? And so that's okay. how I got my background. And then, um, you know, different ones would say different things. But I think once I got my feet wet after the first campaign, I continued to stay involved in my community. So it wasn't like, you know, one and done and you just go sit down. I continued to engage. I continued to build on basically your brand of who you are, what you stand for, you know, being there for the community, helping, providing information. Um, one of the things that... Um, I am also the president of the African Chamber of Commerce here in Colorado. So, you know, during the pandemic, we were like a voice that was right on the scene, bringing really valuable information about resources and things that were available for our community. And it was such a time where nobody understood what was going on. You know, everything shut down and you're just there. So we were able to start doing these town halls where we're engaging community, trying to bring out information for the small businesses, bring out information about, you know, how to get extra, the food that you needed, how to get, you know, health care, how to get whatever it was that you needed, rent support, because now you weren't working anymore. But I think just being involved, um, being present, uh, going to places, uh, you know, showing up on the scene is a big part of it. So people then see you as someone that they can trust and someone that who can represent them. And that's that's important to build trust with your community. So like I said, from previous people that I've had on the show, there was a lot of, there was uh, one similar thing that um, all the women have said is that there's either been a legislation, has been a policy that really sparked them to run for office. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you, what legislation or policy provoked your candidacy, candidacy to run for a political office? I would say that in this last presidency, right, when... Um, we were hearing stuff about how immigrants were, you know, from um, asshole countries and that, you know, Latin, Latino immigrants were, you know, rapists. All of those kind of negative rhetoric about immigrants and what they represent and what who they are really, really angered me. And so I think that gave me the, um, you know, the spunk that I needed to kind of step back up on the scene and say, well, you know, that's not who immigrants are. This is who, you know, I'm going to represent, I'm going to present who immigrants really are. I mean, we're taxpayers, we're entrepreneurs, we're people who contribute so much to the economy of this country and to, you know, the culture of the country. So I think it was very important to have immigrant voices, you know, at the state capitol. And that was one of the things that really, really, truly inspired me to run in 2020. And so, you know, you re- you announce it, you're running in 2020. I mean, I can just imagine the, the excitement. It's going to be, it's going on. But I wanted to ask you, um, as a Black woman in America, uh, what were your initial setback when you enter your campaign? 
So I think, you know, some of the things that black women face and which was not uh, for me as well, raising funds sometimes can be a, a, a limitation, right? Getting the capital to run. Um, I was able to run, uh, raise roughly about $15,000 by, by, for my primary election. Whereas my counterpart, who uh, my, my opponent, I should say, who got all of the endorsements, he also had the support of the party. He had, um, you know, what they call soft money backing okay. him. And basically they had 10 times or 12 times more money because there was over $160,000 spent for him in the election oh. against me compared to my 15,000. So, you know, so that was a big uh, issue there, right? Um, and we also had the pandemic, which was like something that was just totally like, whoa, now how do we, what do we do? So they, you know, it, so it got really interesting because now you have to kind of think about how do you connect with your audience and the people that you need to, because we couldn't knock doors, you know, we couldn't do the ground game, we couldn't do any of that. So, um, so it turned out to be quite interesting, uh, you know, because of all this whole COVID and the, the pandemic thing. But I would say raising money was one of my biggest uh, challenges. Well, I told you, I said she was coming. I knew this was going to happen. So mm -hmm. on the conversation, we have Madam Edith Gongla Webb. We said, all right. Welcome, welcome. welcome. Hi. <laughs> uh, can you can you hear me? But we can't hear you. Oh, no. No. Uh, she'll be back. She'll be back. But this is what yeah. happened. I'm getting, getting so used to it that if I'd be like, oh, it will happen. It'll, it'll, she will come back. But yeah, yeah and so what you, uh, um, what you, there she is. There she okay. is. But you know, what you've said is similar to what, there she is. Can you hear us? We can hear you. Can you hear us? Hello. Yes, I yeah. can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> the problem we're going to have, here's the thing though, guys. Uh -huh. uh, I am driving, I'm traveling on the highway, so uh -huh. there will be dropping calls. I just want you to prepare for that. No problem. This is what I tell people. This is a live show and things happen. So just the fact that you are traveling, you got on your phone to do this for me, we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, um, Representative Riggs, I'm going to go to Madam um, Gongla Ware since, you know, she's just coming in. I'm just going to shoot out the questions to her. Um, so you can take a break. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, there you go. But it's again, it's good to have you on the show. I appreciate you. Um, I just want to, I want everybody to know that Grace said I can call you NC Edith. So okay, I'm gonna call you NC Edith because Grace gave me the go ahead to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good. But thank you so much. And I was when I started the show, I wanted people to understand the strength that's in um, women running for office. I think sometimes people see it and it's like, oh, you know, oh, yes, another woman. Yeah, she's going to do this. But we're going to be talking now to the strength of a woman that actually ran a campaign in Liberia, West mm -hmm. Africa, in Nimba County. And I don't think people understand the, the, the things that go with it. And so I just want to ask you, NT Edith, when did this first happen? When did you just think, oh, Maybe I should run for office. I should run for senator. When did what sparked this in you? 
Well, you know, um, about 12 to 15 years ago, if anybody would have told me that I would be running for office anywhere in the world, let alone Liberia, I would have told the person, you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> but um, going back to Liberia and working in a county with the locals and seeing the disconnect between the uh, people at the sub-national level and national government, I sort of came face to face with the challenges that our people were facing. And so at that point, I realized that something needed to be done because in order for government to come close to the people and the people close to their government, it has to be someone who has lived with them, who understands their plight, who understands their situation. And so that was what really encouraged me to uh, even listen to a call from majority of the citizens that I should run for office. So you decide to run for office. Hello, are you hearing me? Yes, we hear you. We heard you loud and clear. Yes. So you you decide to run for office, and I know you have to tell your family. So tell us the reaction when you tell your, your family that this is something I'm about to do. My family was split. Obviously, my daughter, Grace, <laughs> she didn't even want to hear any of that. In fact, she was like, that's not your place, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And but my husband was in full support. Wow. So was other extended, you know, were other extended family members. My son was like, okay, if you want to do it, that's fine. But you know, if you ask me, I will tell you no. So it was that kind of the, you know, split. It was not like a wholesome support. And the reason why some of them didn't want to agree was because they were afraid of mm-hmm. all of the risks associated mm-hmm. with running for public office, you know, uh, especially in Liberia. Mm-hmm. So their objection was purely based on law. It was based on concern. It was based on their fears. And I could totally understand that. In addition to not having the resources you know, they just knew that this was not something that was going to be good. So I, I, I totally understood all of them, but I continued to assure them that, you know, um, let's go with it. And I think somewhere, somehow we're going to put this through. So, you know, um, I, like I told uh, um, uh, Representative Riggs, there are a couple of other people that have on the show. And they said that, you know, women for women, it takes you guys a longer time to say yes to the call. So I want to ask you, how many times did it take you to say yes to that call? Actually, it took me no time to run. It took me a lot more time to serve in government at the level of the executive. Because put this in context, I was in this country. hmm when in um, 2005, Madam Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, after winning the presidency, asked me in 2006 to return home. 
Okay. Yes. And so the usual thing is you help in campaign and then um, when the campaign succeeds, the principal then asks you or makes an offer. But in my case, I had told Madam President at the time that my support for you has nothing to do with wanting any type of executive job. I just wanted leadership for our country. I was not prepared to leave America. And so she did not relent. She insisted. And after three years, I made that decision to return home. And so when I went home, it was really to work with the government to help the Salif administration succeed in Nimba. So I served as superintendent. It was my service at the county level as superintendent that encouraged me because then I came face to face with some of the problems that the with real engagement with their political leaders who either some of those problems could be solved through yeah. public policy uh, intervention. And so that was the change for me, working in Liberia and specifically in Nimba as the superintendent, very close to the people on the ground and then close to the problems that were being faced, close to some of the lapses that we that we saw through appropriate legislations and advocacies. That that was for me the turning point in Liberia. And that's so it didn't take okay. me a long time, you okay. know, to get to politics. Immediately once my uh my once the citizens saw the good work that I had done as superintendent with them. They petitioned me that, look, if you serve as well as our superintendent, we think you can even do us way better as our senator. And so I was petitioned by a cross-section of the citizens of Nimba, both male and females and the young people. The young people were extremely inspired, along with the women. And so I, I could not say no at that point because... Uh, I think I, you know, at that point I wanted to continue the work that I had started as superintendent and I feel I could do way better as a senator that would have explicit independence to make decisions that will only be in the interest of the people. Amazing. And so, you know, I look at it in a sense where it's like, you know, we we're in America and we have a we have everything, you know, we, we, we have a pretty good decent life. But you're taking that opportunity to move into Liberia to assist the people of Liberia. For me, that's where I see this patriotism because it's extremely important for people to understand that, you know, when people who have lived a certain lifestyle in Liberia, in America, you live here and then you get up and move back, there is an unknown that people don't understand. And so I'm, before we go to uh, um, Representative Ricks, I want to talk about that unknown. Because the fact that you left here and went back to Liberia, yes, uh, uh, Madam Salif, you know, uh, uh, encouraged you to come and all that good stuff. But how was it for you when you started out going into the communities and talking to the people? 
Um, you know, because they get this thing where they normally say, you know, you haven't been here with us. Why are you coming to tell us anything? Like, how did you interact with these people to get them to understand that I'm so proud of you, even though I wasn't here? Look, Edwin, and it's amazing that you asked that question. Because that is one of the challenges that diaspora Liberians face when they go back home. I didn't, fortunately for me, I didn't face the problem. And I'll tell you why. I lived in Limba, I lived in Liberia all my life until I came to the U.S. during the war. When I got back home, I didn't, I, I didn't project myself as an expert. I didn't project myself as being better than those that I left behind. So they saw the genuineness. They saw that connectedness with me. And so I think that helped a lot. The fact that I went in as an empathetic person. I didn't go in thinking that I was better because I lived some years in America. Mm -hmm. I didn't travel around with my water bottle on my arm. I didn't go trying to fake that I couldn't understand my vernacular. So I spoke to the people. In fact, at meetings, I was suggesting my local language. And I always told the people I didn't want any interpreter. I didn't need one. And so the people saw me as one of them. Mm. Even though I lived for about 10 years, didn't see any internet. And so it became a smooth ride with the laws. If I ever had any problem, it was more with, you know, um, within the elite political cycles. But with the majority of the citizens, majority of the population, I was right there with them. I just I hit the ground running. I didn't have to learn anything new. And nobody felt strange around me. Mm -hmm. Nobody felt that they needed to to fit in. Like, oh, she came from America. I had to act a certain way for her to accept me. They felt accepted. Everyone felt accepted. And I think that was for me the magic that did the work. You know, I, I, I really got with the people and that's why i felt i was not rejected because the people themselves felt as the first time great 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 so now we'll move into the segment where i can ask one question and both of you guys can tackle Are that question you, catch is up there a delay yes there's probably a delay but we're fine um so what we're going to do is i'm going to ask the question and um representative Riggs, you can go okay. ahead and answer the question since it's a little bit delayed, and then um, Madam Gongloway can be the second person to answer. But um, I want to ask uh, both of you um, this question: um, as a female, as a female politician, during your campaign or where you're at right now, has there been any question that you feel that the uh, uh, um, any journalist or anybody have asked you? as a woman that you feel that that question will have not been asked if he was a man or have not been asked to any other your male counterparts? Not really. I mean, I think 
most of the times when I engage with um, reporters, I'm engaging on the bills that I'm running. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know what they're going to ask or they ask about, I guess, current issues, maybe my background, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I haven't yeah. really, I, I don't think I've experienced any sexism, uh-huh. you know, as far as that right now. Not not to say that that doesn't happen in politics, because of course, as a woman, you know, people pick you apart. It's like, oh, what's she wearing? You know, those kind of things. I mean, a guy can show up with his jacket, his tie, or his suit, and you don't get all of the flack, like, oh, did you see what that person was wearing? You know, so I think we do get more and greater scrutiny as a woman, mm-hmm. um, you know, representing, but you know, I guess it's, it's part of it. And then I think it's okay to call people out too if they are, um, you know, being sexist. Um, we, you know, we we had had a lot of uh, racial activity going on in, within our state capital though. So that's been pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ooh, we lost signal. Yeah, why yeah, why she uh if she returns. Um so I wanted to ask both of you guys on a con- uh, conversation I have I had with somebody what they were talking about, you know, is most often um uh, women who are you know running for office or in politics or whatever they're doing, they find a really difficult time trying to infiltrate into that political arena because of the the it's a gen, it's a gender thing whereas more male people expect males to do it they're not expected from a woman so have you ever had that experience have you ever had an experience where you are basically looked down on because you are a woman you know i mean i think trying to integrate right now within the state capital and understanding the politics you know um of how people act you know interact there is interesting i mean you know we have a wide variety of people, right? People from rural America. So, you know, the the cowboys, the farmers, you got uh, people from urban areas. And it's like, there's about 65 of us in the House of Representatives that are trying to interact. And we're all there representing, you know, we've won our races, we're there representing our uh, different different, uh, communities. So yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're trying to find your place um, I, you know, I'm trying to think of a specific in, uh, interaction. Like I said, most of the, the the interactions have been like I think from a racial kind of racially charged type of thing, you know, going on where people have made comments within the the house or like you know on an elevator. I had a conversation with one of the lawmakers from rural Colorado, and it was right after the Boulder shootings. We just had like. Um, you know, 10 people get shot at a supermarket. I, I'm sure you heard about that here in Colorado. And so basically they were trying to do this spin to say that this is, you know, well, we need to talk about Chicago, you know, black on black crime, you know, and all of this stuff. And this guy is, you know, and I'm thinking, well, what relevance does this have? I said, well, I'm not a lawmaker in Chicago. I'm a lawmaker here in Colorado. And this is what we need to do here in Colorado well, let's talk about Chicago, you know, so, you know, you could tell that he was trying to get into a place that was, you know, because of a you know, racist kind of remark that he was really making. And so that all came to a head when the members of the Black Caucus of our, for the state, basically we kind of did a press conference and talked about the different interactions that we've had where people have done things that we felt were 
you know, leaning toward racism. And so um, we all and we put it out there and we said that we're not going to let it distract us because that's what they're trying to do is to distract you off your game, which is we're trying to tear down some of these racist, systemic racist laws and, uh, and policies that have impacted communities of the black community, Latino community and the immigrant communities. So, yeah, so that's 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 a recent thing that has just happened. So, um, Madam, where we're rather talking about, have you experienced any um, sexism, gender bias when it comes to you know being in being a female working? I'm um, trying to you know in politics. Have you experienced any? I, I, I don't know. I can't say it right. Have you experienced any form of gender bias as a woman? Have you thought that hmm, if I was a man, you probably wouldn't have said that to me. You bet I have. I mean, tons of them. <laughs> Especially, I mean, not America. But running for office in Liberia, a cultural society where people see politics as a male's domain, mm -hmm. that this is not the place for a woman. You bet I've experienced so much of that. Sexism has been at the peak of our being. Um, some go as far as telling me what you think you are doing. What mm -hmm. do you want? What makes you think that you can be senator for where men are? So not only that the challenge my decision to run, but they also think that something got to be wrong with me to so think that I can become, you know, senator for 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 County, where of course the portable this is supposed to be a men's game, and in that process, I've sustained so much abuses of all types. Verbal aggression has been at the peak of it all. We've had physical aggression to the extent that there are threats to harm my person, like physical threats against me. Hmm. I have had to not travel by night in many instances. So if I'm going somewhere, I've had to send a team ahead to ensure that everything is okay. And I've had to be conscious of what to say. And mind you, most of these uh, sexist attacks have come from opponents. Mm. Our strength has always been with the voting population itself. So I'm being attacked by rivals who think men, you know, and some have branded me as being very hard-headed, mm -hmm. uh, uncompromising. And that's not how a woman's supposed to be, as though a woman should be a certain way and men should be a certain way or behave a certain way. <laughs> so I think what my insistence and my... <laughs> what my insistence has done to my rivals, it has proven to them 
that lot of abuse is going to make me to cave in out. And that's why they resorted to the same physical attacks because mm -hmm. they realized that verbal threats and all of that were so yes to answer your question sexism is at the peak of our election in liberia especially when you are running um for a public place that is highly contested by more of the male candidates so both of you guys we've all heard this term are you still hearing me yep we heard you we heard you are you still hearing me Yes, we are. We can still hear you. No, we heard you very clear. You heard everything you said. But I wanted to talk to you guys on this thing of, you know, there is this thing that, you know, um, the I will do this, strong black woman. And so there is a perception that black women are supposed to be a certain way. And so if you're too loud, you become aggressive. If you are, uh, um, if you, you know, you you talk a certain way while she's trying to act like she's more educated. They have all these things about black women that you literally have to, I told my sister, you need to get a book and write it down so you can meet those standards. But I ask you, both of you guys who are in front of the news, you're in front of the media, you're in front of people, there are people watching you. Has that affected you in any way or form? And when you say, has it affected me as far as what? As far as, have you ever had to sit down and watch and say, you know, I need to watch what I say. I need to watch how I act because I don't want these people to categorize me as the angry black woman. I don't want them to categorize me as, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm too loud because I'm a black woman. Like all those little things that people, society has created. Has that affected you in any way in doing your Yeah, I, I would say yes. I mean, I think that you know you always have to be conscious of how you present yourself and 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 how you come across um going into the house like i said there's 65 different people you know but what i do see is that you can be yourself you know you just have to find that best version of yourself and whatever you present make sure you know of course you it, it has to be it has to be right you know and what whatever right is right for you right so that you're able to you know i mean of course you want to get along with people you want to be liked but I think for me, I think being real, being genuine and, and being, you know, yourself. So if you don't want to talk, you don't have to talk. I mean, you know, it's not like you have to walk to somebody else's script. You script the way that you want to present yourself and how you show up there. Um, that's important. Some people, some people love to talk and they're always up there in the well talking. You know, others, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, but I think as a as a woman or as a politician you it's about image right it's about image and sometimes people define you based on that one image you could see like a picture of somebody oh i saw you know whatever did you see that you know whatever that is people will always say but i think it is about being true to yourself um come and being genuine i i mean i'm genuine i really do love people and like talking and helping people so that's what comes across so but it's up to you to 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 present that image um, but yeah, I, I think all of that stuff plays in your mind as you go out there and you step out there on how you want to look, 
how you want to be perceived, how you want people to receive you. So, yeah. Madam Gongla, where has there any been, you know, is there instances where, you know, you trying to fit into this stereotype of not being an angry black woman? So you watch what you say, how you carry yourself around so that you can, you know, conduct yourself in a certain way so that people don't stereotype you based on their thought process. hear us oops well is that is that me yes that was you Edwin? yep i was asking Hello? you yeah can you hear me can you hear me okay mm-hmm. yeah we can hear you yes so but in our case we in our case we do not have that characterization angry black women uh, mm. because of course we live in a predominantly black culture mm-hmm. uh, the only thing that i think resembles that is that traditionally and culturally our society has carved a place for women traditionally that women are supposed to be the ones in the kitchen and taking care of the children Mm-hmm. And, and men are supposed to be the ones in the public spaces and talking public matters. So a woman like myself in my case tries to get out there in the public space to see you as a woman who's trying to act like a man. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily an angry black woman, but it's more so a woman who is trying to be a man. Wow. And uh, I have been able to fight that. It's to just be genuine and committed to those issues that I know not just appeal to me, but appeal to the vast majority of the public. And not going solo at it, but seeing myself as an advocate that is tending in the gap and the majority of those two may not have the voice or the, 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 the platform to speak for themselves individually. Over time, both men and women have come to see that, oh, she's, she's genuine. And once the people realize that you are truthfully genuine to not just but to the issues that you are talking about in the public space, then they realize that this is time, not just So I think it has helped over years to minimize some of the judgments that women face in in, in politics in, in our part of the world. They're not judging me now as a woman who is trying to act like a man. Mm-hmm. They're saying now to me, this is a partner. This is someone oh, who sees wow. our situation so we got to let her so i've got to support that way and over time my support is grown because over time the, the church who have come across me you know has been convinced as to where my heart is and genuinely where my heart is in throwing myself into politics awesome but representative ricks now this question is directed to you 
So as great as your platform is, I mean, everything is going on great. Are there any policies or, or legislature that you are working on that can empower other young women to follow your footsteps? Yeah, and I and I thank you for that question. Um, yeah, it's I, I think it is important that you know we have people come after us, right? And of course, I didn't set out to be the first immigrant and then the last immigrant. We we have to have other people. So exactly. you know, I have made recommendations for a couple of women who are now going through the same emerge program that I graduated from, which is a, a political training program for women, and then. Um, I also uh, am working on a program that will start to look at people who want to run for office. I think that there's many Nikitas out there and Ediths out there that, you know, do aspire to who want to run. And I think, you know, doing some type of political training across like the states. And I would love to do something in Liberia, too, when I when I do go, you know, to kind of just engage with young women, but then also like the politicians that are there now on the ground. We don't, and it, you know, Edith makes a, a great point. We don't have that many women in like state legislature or Senate there. You know, you got that rare person and um, and it shouldn't be. I think that when women lead, we bring um, a, a different type of leadership than the men do. And it's important that the young women are but one of the things too, I think that also would help women is the fact that we we want them, you know, I think what stops them is maybe maybe a lack of education, right? If you don't feel like you have the confidence to, to step out there and speak. So one of the things my foundation is doing in Liberia is to try to empower women and youth. And that's through like education, um, you know, and just literacy, you know, one third of the women can read, two thirds of the women cannot, you know, are illiterate. So we start there by empowering women. I mean, it's important, you know, when you see the men talking, they're so confident, you know, and they have all this stuff to say. And only a few women, you know, kind of step up to the plate that way with that confidence and, and speak, you know, with all the, using all the, what we call the big, big English, you know, talking and stuff, <laughs> you know. And so I, I want to see women, you know, with that confidence stepping out there. And not to say that you have to have the most education but i think you it, it does help to you know be able to formulate your thoughts and how you present yourself so all of that stuff is important for uh young women and, and people who want to to engage in politics and not just politics but anything that we're trying to do in life because there's so many other things to do right that you know whether you want to be a doctor you want to be a lawyer you want to be that singer creator artist you know whatever that is you know, there's so much that we can do. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we definitely have some programs that we're working on to see if we can put something together. I've been, I've also engaged with um, the brother from uh, Rhode Island who also won, won, you know, as a state representative too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think we're all trying to come together. And Wilma Collins, who's the mayor of, um, of where, where is he, Montana. Yeah, so yeah. Helena, Montana, yeah. So, you know, we want to put things together that we can do like a program that can help aspiring people who want to be in politics. I think that's really is important to give back that way. Extremely important. And I say this, I tell people all the time, I am my sister keeper. Mm -hmm. I have one sister and I have two brothers and I love my sister. And so my sister, you know, as we are getting older, our parents are getting older. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, we were in a conversation where we were working on some plans for my dad. And I could tell in my sister's voice that it wasn't serving well for her. So after we got a Zoom call, I called her. I'm like, what's going on? And she said, I feel that because I'm a woman, you guys aren't listening to me. And she goes off. And I let her express herself. I'm like, well, let me tell you something. I said, if you ever feel that because you are a woman and your voice is not being heard when we're having a conversation, you need to hold me accountable for that. I am going to take this responsibility for you to never feel that way. Because I feel that as African, African descent, Black American, whoever we are, we need to understand that our mothers, our sisters, and our aunties, our cousins, whoever they are, their voices are important, just as us the males. And so with that being said, I'm going to go to you, Madam Edith Gwangluwe, and I have a special question for you. I want to talk about Madam Boto Kane, who I felt literally was bullied, beaten, and literally embarrassed. And I couldn't understand in 2020, this was happening. But I want to ask you, is there any legislation, any policy around that happen that that can never happen again? You know, um, it's good that you ask about Botokane. We all had terrible experiences in the past elections, especially from our male counterparts. Mm-hmm. But Botokane's case was even worse yeah. compared to all of us females that were in the election. Given that experience, we believe that what needs to happen is to have a legislation that makes the playing field um, fair, transparent, but more so I even think in light of something similar to like having a, 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 a legislation that will provide resources for women. And the reason why I say this is because most of the problems that women have faced in election process in our country, they are largely due to lack of the resources, lack of logistical support, that sometimes the men who have the money take advantage of and push us to the curb. So I think when we have a situation where women can be able to access funding, can be able to access resources, it will help us, it will help the women to confront some of these challenges head on. I think some sort of like affirmative action, for lack of a better word to put it, Maybe an affirmative action that give gives women some opportunity to be able to eat will help. In the House right now, in the legislature, both the, the Senate and the lower House, there has been an attempt to pass this bill. Mm. Not just the quota bill that ensures that women have 30%, but some have. Step further, 
that it has to not just be, you know, uh, left to political parties to decide. It has to be a law that makes it mandatory that you don't just bring the women to the polls or you don't just bring them as candidates, but you support them as well with the needed resources to be able to to compete with the men in the field. I think if that is passed, it's going to help women to place a catch up. Because in Liberia, women are like the minority, the minority of the minority in both houses. Right yeah. in the Senate, you have just two women out of two. 10. 30 senators. And in the lower house, you have, I think, about six or so. Total women in the legislature should be around, I think, eight, a number, you know, eight women. It doesn't go well for the country because we all know that when women and men work together, society gets even better. Yeah. When women are in legislature, education, quality of education improves, healthcare services even improve, food security gets better. Because you are having, there are things that men may know better that women may not know, and they think that men, I mean, women could do better than men may not have the ability to do, or may just not have that um, sensitivity to. So it's better for both sexes to work together for the growth and development of societies, especially our society, that is still playing catch up in almost every area. You, when one group is marginalized or feels marginalized, that society is going to get nowhere because no amount of marginalization and exclusion can help any society. It serves as a recipe for chaos, and that's what happening in Liberia. So I think the best way to do that is to go through the uh, legislation that um, ensures not just participation, but exclusive participation. To, to ensure that we have more women in the house. And to end, one of the surest way as well is when that bill is passed and we can have a lot more women in the legislature, it will now become clear to those who think that we cannot play this role to realize that there's no way you can budget women out of the public space. Hmm. And I think it will to minimize the kinds of threats and experiences, horrible experiences that we continue to have when we, we try to participate in election. Thank you so much. And it's been a great time. But before we go, I got one final question for both of you. And so, uh, Representative Riggs, if there is a young girl or young woman, whoever is listening, what is it that you would like for them to hear? from this podcast, coming from you? I would say to that young girl, hey, you know, don't, that is great. It's a great time to be a woman. It's a great time right now to be alive. Um, and depending on what your, your situation and your circumstance, you know, continue to do well and excel in whatever it is that you, you are. So if you're in Liberia and you're saying, well, I'm in school, 
you know, do well at that place where you are because those grades can take you into, you know, uh, a college. Those grades can take you if you if you are, you know, you have a talent of playing soccer, you know, develop that skill, you know, to the top of your ability, be the best in whatever your situation is and, and come and work with the spirit of excellence. I think that pays off. That's what makes people notice, right? If you have talents or you have any kind of, um, you know, creativity, continue to work that and develop it to it's up to the top of your ability. I think it's always that and never give up. Always look to see how you can make a difference wherever you are, stand out. Um, I think that the sky's the limit right now for women. Um, you know, find out what's the trends. Like for example, if you're able to get into like a field of science or technology, um, you know, engineering, all of the different places where women have not traditionally been or you don't see, I, I would I encourage you to explore all of those different opportunities, you know, and, and see what's there. Because they say, you know, success happens when opportunity and preparation meets, you know. So we you you always want to continue to go out there and put your best foot forward. Don't give up, don't despair. And if you fall down, pick yourself up and keep working hard. You know, that's it. I mean, just keep working. Don't ever give up. Look for people too who you admire to to mentor you, right? It is important to have role models and people that you you feel that can give you advice so that you have like-minded people and trusted voices that are pouring into you. And then of course, I would say pray. Uh, you know, pray because with God, you can do all things, you know, and, and nothing is impossible with him. So, and yeah, that's, that's what I would say. And, and to Edith, I'm going to say and to Edith, <laughs> there are a young girl, a woman, whoever is watching, what do you want them yes. to get from this, this podcast? What do you want them to get from this? Um, the first thing I want to tell any young woman or young girl is to just believe in this because everything starts with oneself. If you believe in yourself and build that confidence and trust that there's nothing that you can and not allow people to define who you are, it helps and it goes a long way. Because most of the time, people outside of themselves. I mean, I'm not saying it's not good to be validated by other people, but it is always good to trust who you are first. And then whatever others tell you can just be an addition to what you are who you are. And so my first advice to women or any young girl is allow people to put them down. The second thing that I would say is always go with your gut feeling. Because sometimes the, the tendency to be indecisive, like, oh, I wonder I should do this or I shouldn't do this, you know, uh, indecisive can um, sometimes cause disruption in one's goals. Believe, uh, if, if you want to learn anything, to learn to be decisive and goal-oriented. What is it that you want in life? What is it that you want to get out of private and public life? You have to make that decision. And when you make that decision, go with your God's feelings and stick to it. That 
that would be my advice well i'm gonna say thank you to you both you guys have been amazing i have learned so much and this was the conversation that i've been waiting for um representative ricks i appreciate you i'm gonna be coming to colorado i told you my niece goes to colorado state so i'm gonna be coming there and i just want to have a conversation with you off air because i really want to have a real conversation and to edith i'm gonna drive to philly i'm coming i'm coming to philly i'm gonna have a real conversation but i want to say thank you to you both um this was amazing um the idea of this was <laughs> tom there's a room for you there you go that was the conversation is to have conversation for people to understand that black women african women women of african descent whatever women of whatever skin color have a seat at the table and i love this i appreciate you guys i say thank you and we here at the conversation we say keep on doing what you're doing because we are behind you 100 percent and so I said, thank you for joining us. And we are going to say bye to you both. This has been great. And I'll see you another time. Okay, guys. So this was it was. This was the conversation. I spoke in opinionated. Of course, I am your host, Edwin Meyer. I had Madam Edith Gonglo Ware and Representative Nikita Rakes from the state of Colorado in the United States. It was an amazing time. I am literally out. So I'll see you guys next week. Thursday is going to be lit. Get ready.